This is the fear of science. Welcome to The Fear of Science, the show that dives into the wide world of science topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new science sphere, along with special guests and more surprises and discoveries along the way. I am Dal Chai, co-host of The Fear of Science, and... I am your other co-host, Jeff Porter. And today we are uh, talking about a subject that is near and dear to the hearts of Canadians and millions of people around the world is that a fair thing to say yeah i think so i think so especially people who live in bc i feel like it's a very hot topic right now i agree uh that is of course our subject today is the fear of weed the fear of weed uh luckily we have two special guests joining us in studio today to talk about this subject for our listeners listening on the podcast and elsewhere please introduce yourselves uh hi my name is Kyle Bottom. I'm a Vancouver-based comedian and writer. Uh, I've appeared at the Just for Laughs Festival on CBC Radio's Debaters. I'm currently a student at BCIT, and I likes me some marijuana. Hi, my name is Terry Roycroft. I'm CEO and founder of MCRCI, the Medicinal Cannabis Resource Center. We are a specialized clinic who supports patients for cannabis use, uh, through their possession licenses and for grow licenses through the ACMPR, which is the government-mandated uh, medical program in Canada. Cool. Great. Glad to have you both here. Now, of course, uh, uh, the subject of weed is, uh, is in the news uh, all the time, and, you know, uh, especially with the recent legalization and, and reading headlines of weed being sold out all across Canada. Uh, it's it's uh, fascinating to me that we uh, uh, I'm excited to be talking about the subject because you know with so many people uh, buying weed and enjoying weed, it's still uh, interesting to to note that there are people who are afraid of weed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I think that's and we do that with every single show is we ask the, the one question first: Why are people afraid of weed? Um, uh, do you guys have any any idea why? Well, uh, it goes a long way back. It's the stigma and the optics that have been created over the years. Cannabis, very early on, was uh, stigmatized, where alcohol was brought to the forefront. And so over these years, it's kept that way. And things like uh, reefer madness mm -hmm. and the typical stoner, you know, like God bless their hearts, Cheech and Chong, but they typically, you know, uh, portrayed what most people thought stoners were. So this has really been one of the reasons why we've seen this fear, as well as the unknown. Now, some of the things that have happened here through medical are starting to change that because now we're understanding there's medicinal benefits and we're finding out that it's not as evil health-wise as people thought. Hmm. I think that's like so much of the, the different subjects that we cover here on the Fear of Podcast. It's so much of it's the, the fear of the unknown, and that definitely does apply to, uh, to, to weed. Uh, Kyle, in your, uh, uh, in your experience as a comedian and a writer, uh, you, know, um, uh, of, you know, we mentioned Cheech and Chong and, uh, you know, stoner comedies, uh, Pineapple Express. Uh, why is, uh, you know, as much as uh, uh, people are afraid of weed, why is uh, a comedy a good uh, 
gateway entrance, so to speak, into that, into the culture, into uh, weed and marijuana? Um, I think that comedy and marijuana are very closely linked <laughs> because uh, anyone who smoked marijuana can tell you that sometimes when you smoke marijuana, you get the giggles, you get laughy, you get that kind of loose and fun feeling and that's where you want to be when you're, you know, ready to laugh. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that's the, that's the tie between comedy and marijuana is that, um, yeah, marijuana makes you want to laugh and laughing makes you want to smoke marijuana, right? Is that how it works? Right. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, and as mentioned, uh, as referenced, Jeff, uh, always love your research, by the way. It's always <laughs> great. Uh, you know, it's true. Uh, marijuana has been attached to the idea of counterculture and anti-authoritarian mindset and comedy does the same thing as well so. yeah it's being subversive it's kind of going against what the societal norms is and questioning everything and i think the the match of, of comedy and and weed work really well together but one thing that was actually kind of interesting when i when i was booking this show um is that uh i thought fear of weed finding a comedian not going to be hard not going to be hard at all because every single comedian I know pretty much smokes weed. But one thing that I found really interesting was the stigma that came attached to it, because there were a lot of comedians that I approached and a lot of friends of mine that said, um, yeah, I smoke weed, but I don't want to be on a podcast as the weed-smoking comedian. Mm. Um, so I found that really interesting. So there's still a stigma, and especially when you're talking about traveling to the U.S. Um, and doing tours around there, the, there's still that question mark, that unknown of how it's going to affect your career. Yeah, I th there is really like a stigma about marijuana across everything. But I feel like with comedy, when when you get labeled as like a stoner comedian, people are like, oh, that, that's lowbrow humor. That comedian isn't as smart, isn't as witty. And that's yeah. just not the case. Yeah, yeah. I even heard that th uh, Seth Rogen is trying to, to separate himself from his his weed-smoking oh. comedy background. That's going to be difficult at this yeah, point, but yeah. it can take a few years. Yeah, yeah that's, that's all on the public record now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is part of the problem now is, you know, the with the U.S. current uh, legislation, you talk or are related to any cannabis-type uh, businesses, and that can cause a problem. There was just a huge showdown in Vegas, one of the largest, it was 25,000 people showed up to it. There were over 1,500 exhibitors. Everything and anything you want to know about weed was there from extractions machines to drying machines to packaging, everything that's involved in the industry. So many people were going there. Now, we know at least a dozen people that went down stating that they were going down on business. They said, well, where to this show? And they were denied. One of them had a lifetime ban. So, you know, this is part of the issue. Even if you're in the industry, you're not allowed to go down to the States and actually do business. Right. So the right. problem, so that's kind of the issues. Now you've got to lie to the border guards. And so again, a lot of these things, again, promote some of the fear of weed. It's like, is this going to now stop me from being able to travel? Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, you know, a lot of the other things that we didn't kind of touch on is the gateway drug that many people talked mm -hmm. about from the earlier days. Now the gateway drug uh, phenomenon has been disproven many times. Yeah. And in fact, what's happening now is it's being called an exit drug yeah so what's happening through mental health and addiction is people are having to go through the normal 12-step process and they're finding that very difficult to do with any without any kind of stimulation when you go through your normal 12-step program so there's now been 
a gentleman that we know that runs about 160 halfway houses and, and recovery houses has now got about a dozen of them that are allowing weed and they're going through that um, experimentation now to see how it works. So again, even the fear of weed for recovery is being um, you know, challenged right now through some of these things happening. And, and there's many addiction specialists that now talk about cannabis as a gateway drug, especially when you're doing it in conjunction, you know, with your physician that's seeing what you need and everything. So, you know, those fears are slowly changing. And, you know, this gateway drug phenomenon has been disproven many years ago that it certainly doesn't. Actually, alcohol is your number one gateway drug yeah. because you get so foolish and make such bad decisions when you're on alcohol that that leads you to a lot of other drugs in many other cases, right? Yeah. I make far too many decisions when I'm on weed <laughs> <laughs> over and over and over again. That's right. Well, then you need something that slows you down with a little more CBD. <laughs> that will slow that down. <laughs> so um, so at the MCRCI, right. uh, so what, what types of people come in to see you? What are they, uh, what kind of, what are they coming in for? Everything. Now, primarily we see people for chronic pain and insomnia. Those are one of our... Ter- top two and, and anxiety. But again, it all ties together. If you've got chronic pain, you're not sleeping well, then you get anxious with life because you've got some sleep deprivation and you're not feeling well. So those are the three, but it goes all the way down to epilepsy in children. So we're probably the only clinic in the country that specializes with uh, children with epilepsy. We have a specialist, a pediatrician, who sits on the board of the UBC, specialty illnesses for children. And uh, we've got about 40 or 50 children that we deal with that, autism and um, epilepsy. So it ranges from that all the way up to the 80, 85-year-old seniors that have been on medication for so long. They've got problems with their stomach and their liver. And it's their kids that are now traditionally, this is what we're seeing, is the children are saying, Mom, Dad, you should be trying this. And they've got these old um, optics and the fear of weed. But when you get to a certain point, and that goes with people with really severe illnesses that would never try it, when it comes to that point, many people will try things out of necessity. And this is where we're seeing some people roll over. And once they've gone the other way and realized that they can get great, um, you know, great uh, relief from cannabis and and they're able to get off those drugs, we're seeing a turnaround, better quality of life. Some of the senior centers that allowed it and have brought some edibles in. You see a lot more chatting. There was even a (laughs) dance class at one thing that got started because everyone was, you know, getting high and wanted to do some things. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of that in the senior side of things. Yeah, well, and... That, that's interesting when you said uh, with uh, kids um, uh, for epilepsy. Now, I would imagine that must be a difficult route to get parents to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll give my kids weed mm-hmm. to help with it. Like, how do you go about that? I guess, like you said, it's so the they're finally like, this is a kind of our last resort. But how do you get past that not being a last resort? Well, there are people now, there's been some different... Um, articles out there and some different shows out there. Now, a documentary done by Sanjay, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, a CNN neurologist that does, uh, you know, exposés and documentaries for them, originally started a uh, documentary to see the evils of weed. Well, by the time he was done and he saw what happened, he had changed his mind. And his opening statement on that was, I was starting this documentary to show you why, you know, weed was snake oil but I was wrong, and here is why. And one of those segments was in a little girl called Charlotte, and it was the group called the Stanley Brothers. Now, they were growing high CBD and low THC product and were finding out that people were getting great results for MS and, and spasming. So they went to the next level, and um, some 
parents that had found no luck whatsoever. Their child was having, you know, 300 seizures a month and was really not even developing. It was two or three years behind development. She was only six years old because being in spasm all the time. I uh, tried that. So typically they were timing what was happening. They gave her her first dose and typically there would be every half an hour there'd be some kind of a spasm. Well, they went two days without anything whatsoever with a very minor original dose. So they moved to Colorado so they can continue this treatment and he's gone through weed one, weed two, weed three, and he's followed this little girl. So things like that have taken away that fear in many cases because this is from a neurologist, CNN. They've seen this little girl where she was before to where she is now riding a bike, hanging out with her peers, absolutely normal and no medication at all for those six years was helping her. So when parents see that kind of stuff, they approach us and they're saying, listen, we've seen that. We know they've got her on drugs. It is kind of working. We know she can't be on it forever. We want to try some natural medicine. Right. And so right. that has now had some of those parents approach us to look for that alternative solution. And, uh, is that the origin of the Charlotte's Web? And that's Charlotte's Web. So they named it after her, the Stanley Brothers. As a matter of fact, I've been in that facility before. I've seen the greenhouses uh, several years before this happened when they were just going through their traditional. Really great uh, group of uh, part of um, brothers. And they really were advocates and helped a lot of people with medicine. And they went on a route with this Charlotte's Web that most people wouldn't because no one wanted to buy it. It's like, why would I buy something that doesn't get me high? Mm -hmm. But they right. still went down that path to experiment when bringing out those oils. And now Charlotte's Web is a very well-known brand and it's kind of related. When you talk about cannabis for kids, Charlotte's Web is usually the one that comes up. In, oh. in, in the yeah, it's very now. famous. So I famous. got a totally different message when I read that book. <laughs> <laughs> you got to read between the lines. Yeah, between the webs. Between I the gotta webs. smoke some Charlotte's Web before. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I guess it's not really going to happen. Well, it will. I mean, it's only got 4% THC, but it's got 18% CBD. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing that's happening in the industry now is CBD is becoming very much talked about. In fact, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Association, who puts the prohibitions on all the drugs for professional athletes around the world, just uh, took CBD off the ban list. So now any professional athlete can use CBD as long as their governing body has decided that it's okay. So we've been in talks and worked with and are talking with ex-professional players now that are all on their player representatives and the players' unions all working with the owners to try and get cannabis, uh, CBD in particular, allowed, because even if you could save one week for your top player, like a Marshawn Lynch, and he's back playing that next game where you really needed him, even that small amount of time would be a big benefit to them. And cannabis, uh, you know, CBD, through that oil and through the different mechanisms they have for that, patches, pills, sprays, there's a lot of opportunity to get better recovery uh, without any of the side effects, because they don't want their players doing oxycodone and narcotics because we know how addictive they can be. And right. again, that's part of what we talked about at this addiction seminars is how pharmaceuticals are getting people addicted. It's not just street drugs. It's normal people using oxycodone, some of those narcotics are getting very, very addicted very, very quickly. And cannabis is the exit drug. And we've used it on many patients, gotten them off their narcotics. So a lot of people think gateway means hard drugs, you know, crack or stuff off the street. But there's many people that are addicted, you know, uh, just everyday people addicted to their painkillers yeah mm -hmm. so when you say cbd and thc mm -hmm. um now i know that that thc is like that's that's what it's gets you high, high right yeah. like that's the drug part 
what what is CBD? Okay, well, CBD is called cannabidiol. So if you were to look at a pie chart, let's take like there's 200 cannabinoids within a plant. There's about 120 that are unique only to can, uh, marijuana, and the other ones are things like. Uh, you know, hops from beer, they have cannabinoids in them and, and, and other plants do. So when you take these cannabinoids, there's many minor ones and there's many, and there's about a dozen more prevalent ones. Can, uh, CBD and THC are the two highest percentages, but you have things like CBN, CBG, which is now considered a uh, weight loss uh, right. uh, benefit. So they're, they're trying to breed things with CBG in it. But the bottom line is THC gets you high, CBD does not get you high. Mm -hmm. But there's two forms of CBD you can get. One is an isolate, which is 99% pure, looks like sugar, and that's what they use as a basis for a lot of the um, nutraceutical products, like the creams and the sprays. Then you've got the more oral products, which are, are come from the hemp flower. Now that's got all the cannabinoids in it. So when you have all the cannabinoids, you're getting what's called the full spectrum effect and an entourage effect. Now CBD alone doesn't have the entourage effect. What it does is if you were to take a pie chart and have that dozen cannabinoids, you would see CBD taking up about 45% of that pie chart yeah. uh, with the benefits it does. Then the other 12 would be the other 55%. There's some crossover, but CBD, in fact, almost has as much benefits as all those other ones together. But on its own, it does great things. But the entourage effect is when you add even a small amount of THC, 1% to 2%, it creates what's called the entourage effect. And it takes all those other cannabinoids and they work together in major synchronicity and they have much more benefits. So if CB does this good for you, a little bit of THC, it is going to do better for you. And that's part of what the fear is. It's like to get the very best medical benefits, you do have to have a little THC. But if it's a small amount, you're still not going to get psychoactivity, but in but it's only 0.3 T or below THC that's allowed if you're going to call it a basic hemp or pure CBD product. Oh, interesting. Mm. Huh. Wow. Well, that's what I love about uh, doing this podcast is that I learn so much. Uh, I've, uh, I, I still consider myself a bit of a lay person when it comes to, to weed and, uh, and the marijuana industry. Uh, I... Learn a lot again from what I intake from the from the news and from few friends who do use uh, weed for mental health and uh, and health stuff. Uh, for for people like me or for people who are trying to get more information, like what you just gave us uh, is awesome information and it's a lot of information. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where where uh, this kind of information will be uh, general knowledge that's easy to obtain? Uh, yeah. I think it will. And in fact, it's already starting that way. There are many uh, podcasts like this, people doing articles, magazines now being devoted strictly to cannabis. So it's, it's happening more and more. Uh, there are more, I mean, when we started 10 years ago, there was one trade show. There, are, I can't even keep up with the amount of trade shows that are happening now. So all these are, are, are given and being put together to give that education and give that information out there. Groups like MCRCI, you can go to our website and we have links all over the place that give you information. Uh, there are now 
different websites out there that you can go to that you can punch in A and it'll tell you every study that's been done on arthritis using cannabis. But the interesting thing is over the last 25 years, 95% of all the studies have been done to look for the negative connotations, right. not the positive. So even if there were some positive outcomes and they saw really good things, they couldn't report it because that wasn't the outcome and that wasn't what the study was for. We're seeing a turnaround in that. And again, the more we see of that, the more information is going to come out and it's going to be standard knowledge as we go out. And five years from now, it's going to be totally different. Ten years from now, Kids that are at that age, it's going to like, what? Marijuana was illegal or just like, you know, oh, you didn't have cell phones? Yeah. It's going to come to that point. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now, yeah, like that's one of the big things too. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this, this episode um, after legalization is, yeah, now weed is legal. Um, so, so how does that change things? I'll ask, I'll ask Kyle first. How has legalization changed your life, Kyle? Um, considering we live in Vancouver, legalization has not changed my life at all. (laughs) Like, I've been trying to do this joke at shows that always falls flat. And I'm like, hey, we legalized weed. We can finally buy it at a store now. And everyone's like, what? What are you talking about? Because we've been able to buy it at a store for like the last four or five years. So honestly, it hasn't had a big impact on Vancouver. I imagine the impact is more being felt in the rest of the country where, yeah, people have just you know, had their friendly dealers and black market sort of deals. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. In Vancouver, we've been so, you know, ingrained into this culture for so long and with this uh, dispensaries being open in Vancouver, being the first one to license and regulate them, it hasn't really changed much. Uh, other parts of the world, as he was saying, like, you know, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Winnipeg, where there were no dispensaries or very few and they were getting busted, certainly have had a big turnaround, but they still don't have that many stores. Alberta is the only place that has it. But here, people, you know, would just light up a joint, smoke it on the side of the street, no problem. But if I went back to Toronto and did something like that, people were going, oh, man, what are you doing? You're going to get in yeah. trouble. Montreal, even worse. You know, you go to Calgary, Winnipeg, it's like, don't worry, i got a license, man. I'm legal. I can do it. i got a medical license. But they're like, oh, man, be careful. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for them, it must be, a, you know, a heyday. But I must admit, you know, on my way to... Uh, work that morning the first morning of legalization i couldn't wait till after work i had a you know just indulge just a bit as a first recreational toke rather than a medical toke at that point yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. because uh, how many countries in the world is marijuana legal we're the second second right well, we are the second national to go federally legal for recreational. Right. Uruguay was the first, and they had a, a program in place where Always they're selling Uruguay. weed at $2 a gram, right? Whoa. Very low quality, though. Right. But what they're doing, and uh, because they're growing in, it's a warm weather country, they are starting to grow outdoor crops to create oil. So this is what's happening in the world now, is a lot of these warm weather countries, Colombia, Peru, um you know, Australia, a lot of them are growing it, but they're not allowing flour to be used in their countries. They're saying strictly medical, it has to be in oil. Canada is the only country that allowed for medical, um, you know, major things to have the flour. Now, it has a federal program. Now, the U.S., there are many states, I think there's 16 and about 18 more on for this year to try and get some form of medical or, or, or decriminalization. Um, and so... 
until the federal government comes on board, it's going to be very fragmented. But when that happens, and it could happen with the recent, you know, leave um, firings of Jeff Sessions and two other real opponents to cannabis, there might be some open doors if the if the Democrats decide they're going to go for it. Obviously, Trump's got many cronies that have invested in it. And, of course, if it goes legal federally there, they're going to make tons of money. So in that case with him, that's the reason I would see him kind of supporting it because of the financial side of it. Yeah. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens, you know, in the next little while. And they're talking about that. How does the, the Netherlands fall into that? Well, the Netherlands has been legal for a long time. In fact, Bedrocan, who has got a company here, was one of the first companies there to actually grow it for export. So what happened is Bedrocan had the license, and they did a lot of hemp production as well. So they were very early stages. And the whole model of uh, dispensaries and coffee shops was originated by Ben Dronker, who actually founded Bedrocan. So now... Um, that kind of set the standard for standardized product because they had over seven or eight years of consistent growing of products. The percentages, the CBD, the THA were all consistent so they could meet the criteria for an export license. Yeah. So that's how they fit into it. And they were very open-minded again. I mean, they're like Vancouver uh, in regards to just having them opened everywhere. And they, and they were the ones that really opened it up. But in the last several years, it's changed in the Netherlands. With the new government there, it's become much tougher. And in fact, you're not even supposed to be able to buy cannabis in the Netherlands unless you're a, uh, you live there. Yeah, mm. yeah. I haven't been there since that time, so I'm not sure how it's going. I'm sure you can get it. But, you know, they've clearly tried to crack down. They had some major shows in the Netherlands, cannabis shows. Uh, have really been dialed back because they used to use cannabis and sell different related products, and they've shut all that down. So from a country that kind of led the charge, they've been reined in a little bit. Yeah. Mm. I actually used to, I lived in Amsterdam for a while. Yeah. And uh, it was, yeah, it's very much like Vancouver is where people just walking down the street, smoking a joint, no one really thought much of it. Mm -hmm. And it was mainly the tourists. The Dutch don't really give a crap about weed at all. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's just, the, it's mainly the British stag parties that come over <laughs> and are stoked about it. Uh, I will say it's fascinating, again, hearing this conversation, and it seems like uh, no matter what industry or no matter uh, what sort of uh, discoveries, uh, it seems like the driving force and catalyst for change oftentimes is business. It seems like, uh, yeah. you know, with, uh, with, you know, at some point, and I mean, it, you know, from what I've read in the news, uh, with uh, dispensaries and shops being sold out across the country, and I think it was, if uh, my memory serves me correct, I believe that Alberta was slowing down the licensing because they're, they've run out of marijuana to sell. It seems like, yeah, the, the you know, as much as, uh, not so much like, uh, like civil you know, wants or, or people calling for the change. It's almost like the, you know, government at some point goes, okay, we can make money off of this. We need new revenue. Oh, sweet. Millions of dollars coming in, uh, on this. Um, yeah. So, uh, I wonder if that's like, uh, you know, I, I asked that not necessarily asked a question, but almost as like a ponderous statement. Hmm. Yeah. Like money talks basically. I like, guess so. Yeah. As soon as People who have a large amount of capital get interested in something. Well, then... you know, I mean, like definitely, you know, when they hear like, uh, you know, whether it's here or in the states, and there's, you know, uh, lots of people who have, went, you know, who have gone to prison, have criminal records because mm -hmm. of possession, and, you know, and uh, it is fascinating and, you know, a little bit 
disheartening to to realize like, oh, sweet, we're making millions off of this, but meanwhile there are people who still can't cross the border because they have a record or mm. they can't do these things because of uh, of that. Now I know the government of Canada is trying to to uh, expunge people's expunge records people's for records, right. basic possession and yeah. that sort yeah. of thing. So, from, from what I understand, though, it's it's going to be a pretty slow process in order to do that. Um, do you know? Meanwhile, you know, licenses everywhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, yeah. yeah. So what's interesting is um, from that medical point of view and the recreational running out of weed, it has become harder now to get weed than it was when it was illegal. Yeah. So it's happened. You if you want to do it legally, you walk into the store. We've got one in Kamloops and one license in Kimberley, and that's it so far. Mm-hmm. You have a run on medical product because this was predicted. We knew based on the demand right. and based on what the capacity was of what they are producing, uh, there's going to be a problem. In fact, they said even if all the licensed producers went to their capacity right now, it would still be running out. So um, we knew that was happening. So what had happened is a lot of the, the um, LPs were putting supply aside for our patients. And so that allows us to actually still offer our medical patients some medical cannabis, whereas the recreational users may have some difficulty. But that even kind of backfired because when the word came out that there was going to be a shortage, people were buying up their full allotments and, and trying to buy as much as they could in anticipation. Mm-hmm. So it also put a little bit of a, of a strain on the medical side of it. Yeah. So that's what we're seeing it's now. Like water wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to well, hoard all the stuff. One mm-hmm. thing that I was curious about too is... Um, what happens to the people who always worked in the gray area already, the dispensaries? Um, how does legalization affect them? Because from what I understand with dispensaries is they weren't technically legal, but they were allowed to, to yeah. practice type thing. Yeah. They were 100% illegal, yeah. but in Vancouver, <gasps> they allowed them to uh, operate, but not many other areas. You try to open them up in Burnaby, you're shut down that day. There's right. no way you're operating up. So it was municipality-driven in what they were allowing. You know, Victoria and Nanaimo, some of the island places were okay with it. But if you went to Courtney, I don't think there's anything up in open Courtney. I don't know, do you... I don't think but so. There but was, there wasn't many, and they were being shut down. So what's happening now is everybody in the gray market, uh, really is the black market, but yeah. because of legal wrangling, it became gray. Um, it uh, uh, is now changing. So if you are a dispensary, you've got the opportunity to apply for a real license. Mm-hmm. Now, the advantage people in Vancouver had was that Vancouver did put a regulatory process in place, which, you know, tells how far you have to be from schools and what you can do near community centers, liquor stores, things like that. So we didn't have to go through that process where many other municipalities are. You go to Burnaby right now, they still don't have a plan in place. So, you know, it's difficult to do, but it is doable. And other provinces are much easier to do that than in BC at this point. Alberta was very simple. And again, as Daniel mentioned, because of the lack of supply, they've slowed down that. You can't open up a store that's just going to be empty. So they've kind of slowed that down. Mm -hmm. So they've got the opportunity. The other area that is an opportunity are those people that were medically growing uh, for the dispensaries. And in fact, that's where most of the dispensaries were getting their product because there was a gray area or if you're a legal licensed grower you can grow product even though the program said you couldn't sell it to anyone other than the people you were growing it for obviously there was not enough enforcement the program the way it was you could grow multiple plants 
multiple sizes with many, many lights. There's no criteria or ratio to what you had with that. So there's lots of black market product going that way. Right. So now they have an opportunity with a new program that came out called the microgrowers program so that they can now apply as a microgrower. They can have maybe 200 square meters of canopy space, but they can now get in there. And if they get that license, they can now sell to the licensed producers. And this is why the government allowed that because they wanted the craft growers that have great strains that are not in the normal program as well as it would take the black market into the legal market so thereby you know attacking the, the black market for that and by shutting down the dispensaries which was their supply chain they've alleviated that as well so those growers now have the opportunity to go into the market and start growing legally as well so these are all the mechanisms that the government's tried to use to alleviate black market give people opportunities and again create more product because the lps are having a problem problem keeping up with it and as we all know bc bud had some fantastic strains that they don't want and if you're growing a great strain and you get a license you're going to be able to put that strain now into the uh, the market and so a lot of people that there's no other way to do that that you can't just sell a strain to a licensed producer it's got to come from seed very complicated process to bring new genetics in here's another way to bring those into the market yeah and that's one thing i found in in amsterdam as well is that weed there is an art there's so many different strains of it. There's so yeah. many different, like, you know, you can go in, you could have a, a conversation with, with someone working in, in a, a coffee shop there. It's like you're talking to a barista uh, and uh, mm -hmm. the, the newest strain of coffee coming mm -hmm. out. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Is, there, is there a weed sommelier? Is that an Yes, there certainly is. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> mm -hmm. They've got a course for it down in the States. Where you can really? take it. Oh, yeah, a sommelier, of course, where you're going to be a weed connoisseur. Wow. And you're going to be doing that. So, you know, weed is very similar to wine in the way people process it. They enjoy it. The odors, the terpenes, which is what a lot of people are now finding out. I mean, when you open up a bag of weed, each one smells different. Those are the terpenes that you're smelling on it. That's an oily substance, just like any other plant. When you smell a rose, what you're smelling are the oily terpenes off of that. So what we found, though, is aromatherapy. When you attach that to what terpenes are, you can start to getting many more benefits of limonene is for energy, pinene is for energy, myosine. High amounts of myosine would be good for sedative effects. So now not only looking at sativa for daytime or indica for nighttime, we're now looking at the different types of terpenes so that we can even more better recommendations of what specific strain should be good for a patient depending what they want. And so what the rec market's doing is they're taking the terpene to the next level and, and creating experiences. So now you're buying the product and the pen for an experience. You want to go to a concert and dance? Well, this is the product you should have because you're going to have energy and you're going to be uplifted. Oh, you just want to go and chill and, you know, have a, you know, a movie night? Well, here, smoke this because you're just going to chill and you're going to be, you know, really comfortable to watch it. So wow. this is the new marketing areas is experiences rather than just strains or indica and sativa. I feel like every time I smoke it, I'm smoking the eat a whole bunch of food and pass it on the couch kind. <laughs> well, this is where CBG comes in because if you get what? product with high CBG, it's an appetite suppressant. What? <laughs> yes. I don't know if I want to suppress that. Well, <laughs> some people do yeah. because they don't want the munchies, yeah, right? Yeah. And so this is some of the negatives to cannabis. It's like, well, I don't want to smoke weed because I eat everything in the house. Yeah. I only regret it the next day, yeah. but it's great <laughs> at the time. So I, th so I think you're already touching upon it a little bit, but uh, for for uh, for our special guests, and, uh, and Jeff, if you have any thoughts on this, uh, what is the future of weed then, as we're slowly getting away from from 
fearing it and as we're uh, uh, cultivating new you know like a, a designer weeds like what's what's next as it comes more mainstream and as it becomes more legalized um, and more available yeah what's what's next I think um, just with like better understanding of marijuana and the differences of strains and what they can do I think people will just have better experiences with marijuana it'll improve the public stigma and um yeah i think weed has a I bright hope, future yeah i i hope that too i think uh, in general stigma uh stigma seems to be a word that uh that as a random side note stigma seems to be a word that uh i've only able to really understand like the meaning of it as an adult mm-hmm. but i think it's also because it's something that has become something that we as as a society as people are able to uh discuss and realize oh there are real real effects on stigmas on things and so uh uh yeah whether it's like people being you know if it's teenagers being labeled stoners in high school Mm -hmm. uh you know that's definitely a negative stigma and hopefully stuff like that will will change Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well you know i see the future of it um developing in many different areas i i see the two segments separating between medical and recreational. We're already seeing it in the way that they're developing products now. They've got pills and sprays and patches all branded and packaged in ways that look just like the traditional stuff that you're already seeing. So if you're buying, you know, uh, one of the typical pain patches, well, this looks exactly the same, except it's got CBD and THC in it. So we're starting to see many different products. We've got chocolate makers are now getting into it. So you're looking at things that taste absolutely delicious and you can have the thing. In the past, everything tasted weedy and it was very difficult to get something that wasn't nasty tasting. And now they've come up with many different areas. We've got Coke and and Corona all getting into the market for um, infused beverages. And this is a big thing. Even though beverages are only about 7% of the overall market, very low compared to the other things, edibles are becoming much bigger. And it's interesting to note that the $10 to $20 price range of edibles is the largest purchasing price of course even when they went down to lower cost oh. edibles it didn't have as uh, people weren't looking at that lower range they were looking at more than majors because a lot of these things are packaged better right they are taste better so it's not just about price it's about the experience again of having that product so you know the future is going to be those sort of things on the rec side then ah. you're going to see the medicinal side and you're going to see two separate segments in the industry that you can either invest in if you're more invested in the medical side side you'll have those opportunities a lot of the lps that have got the medical side have created a recreational brand that has got a totally different name so that they can still market in those two different segments so you know i see that happening and then just more and more people being comfortable seeing it in traditional normal looking packaging hey i'm going to drink a bottle of coke with you know that's infused with cbd or whatever they're going to do with it mm-hmm. and it's just going to become normalized mm. as, wow. as we move forward and i don't think it's going to take it's long with the amount of pressure and the amount of growth we're seeing worldwide i think it's going to be normalized a lot faster just as it already has in the time we've been here we've seen it normalized uh, in, in major ways compared to what it was before and, and very rapid acceptance so i still think we're going to see it like that yeah, yeah. Uh, recently I, I uh, recently I noticed that there was a there was a THC infused dining event. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and it's happened a few different times from, from a few different organizers, and every time I always hear that it's all sold out. Yeah. And it's all fine dining, mm-hmm. and it's all uh, you know very very uh, classy, and it's 
THC based and they learn about what's going into the food and it's made with it. And I'm like, wow, that is uh, just fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the future as well is, is will be, I think that weed will, will be like alcohol. It will be like. Just less know, dangerous. Less dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that, you know, it will be okay to just kind of choose what you want to do when you go out. If you want to smoke some weed recreationally or if you want to have a drink recreationally. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll just be the same kind of idea. Um, part of the thing, too, that I, I kind of wanted to qu quickly talk about as well is um, regulation around uh, controlling weed compared to controlling alcohol. You so read like my mind. <laughs> drinking, <laughs> drinking and driving is a big thing. Drinking and smoking um, is worse. Is worse, if You combine yeah. them together, it's, it's a major difference. It exasperates both sides of it, right? Yeah, mm. I actually just watched a video series uh, by the Try Guys, and they they smoked weed and on a controlled uh, race course. They they did it. They drove uh, after smoking weed, after getting drunk, while texting, and while <laughs> tired. And uh, they actually measured uh, what amount. The whole of, stadium uh, exploded. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Not at the same time. They were separate ones. Ah, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, what, yeah, what happened? Um, the weed was probably one of the worst ones, um, and alcohol was probably one of the least worst ones compared. Uh, they actually did really bad tired as well. Mm -hmm. ah. Well, t being tired and sleep deprivation is just as impairing as, as, as I don't know what it is, three or four drinks uh, of alcohol. So, yeah, that can be very, and, and what's, what's interesting is that in work, cannabis in the workplace, um, you know, there's a section called 420, Interesting enough, <laughs> which means that you have to disclose to your employers if you're impaired, if you're on painkillers, you're drinking, or anything mm. else. That never happens, but they've over-regulated these things with cannabis. And that's why when you brought that up, it's a very good point, because cannabis, the fear of cannabis has allowed them and has made them over-regulate the rules and regulations. For instance, yeah. even for a doctor to prescribe it in Alberta, they have to take a special course, a number of things. They have to be regulated. They have to be... Um, reviewed, the college will look at how many people they're signing, that sort of thing. But if they're giving out oxycodone, there's no regulations on that whatsoever. And we know that that is far more dangerous than cannabis can ever be. Right. Drinking and driving, they've put the penalties for that so much higher than uh, they need to be. And in fact, we have a, I mean, I'd, I'd really be interested to see that because we've looked at tests where they're putting alcohol, you smoke one joint, you're supposed to have point. 0.5 nanograms of THC per liter of blood. Well, that is their area. That is such a small amount that there's virtually very little impairment on anyone that's on anyone other than someone super susceptible to cannabis. Right. Whereas when you have the equal amounts of of um, amounts of what they're considering in, in you know drinking or smoking, and you look at the impaired levels, alcohol, the tests we've seen are much higher than that. It is much more impairing alcohol than it is with cannabis. And in fact, in some cases, people drove better because their minds were racing and it kind of allowed them to slow down and actually function and, and going instead of being all wound up and anxious while they're driving. Yeah. So, you know, you can come up with a lot of different tests and almost come up with any result that you want yeah so you know well, that's that, interesting in medicine right that's actually uh in the video series say they did notice that when you were drunk uh you were taking all these risks going much faster than you should but when you were high really they chill. were driving extremely mm -hmm. slow being extremely cautious but to the point that 
it was making it dangerous for everybody else around them. <laughs> mm, right. So they might have been safer, but everyone else was less safe. Exactly. Yeah. So basically, this conversation has given me fear of alcohol and fear of driving. Uh, great. <laughs> well, the problem with dry smoking and driving is there's no quantifiable way to test your impairment. Yeah. They're trying to do saliva tests. They're trying to do breathalyzers. People are trying to create products that just don't do the impairment. So we're left to the decision of a drug recognition officer that's going to determine if you're impaired. Now, there's been three or four lawyers in Vancouver that have taken this test or taken this course just to see how it would work. And they've both said, this is a recipe for you to fail. The way that they've got the drug and the way the teaching is, you're, very, you're not going to pass it the way that it's being taught. So there is certainly a bias through this for cannabis. And uh, we're going to see that the lawyers are rubbing their hands in glee because they are going to be busy as hell fighting these things about uh, impairment and smoking. Yeah, well, and also um, the one thing I find interesting about weed, too, is if you smoke a lot of it and if you're a quote-unquote stoner, which is not a word I really enjoy, um, but, like, I have friends um, that smoke weed all day, every day, and that's just... That's the way they are. Like, they smoke weed to be who they are. Mm-hmm. So for them to, to drive, um, that's just their normal state of mind. They're not high at all. They're yeah. just maintaining the way that their, yeah. their yeah. mind works. Because, like, marijuana has diminishing returns, right? So, like, the more you smoke, the less effect you get out of it. Right. Yeah. So if you smoke all day, every day, you're not, like, getting these crazy highs. You're just kind of, like, maintaining... A level keel. Yeah, yeah that's, like that's he your has state to, of being, right, at that yeah, point. Yeah, and right? he has to smoke a lot of weed in order to actually get stoned. Right. Uh, and he doesn't really do that much anymore. Uh-huh. Well, what's interesting is we've seen that effect a lot. We've seen people in major chronic pain using a lot of cannabis, but still functioning daily mentally because it, it's kind of a little theory one of our doctors said. It's like you're, um, when you take cannabis, You've got CB1 and CB2 receptors in your body. They were only discovered 30 years ago, and this is why we've had very little science really relating to it. The endocannabinoid system was discovered 100 years ago, but they never knew what the reality, what it was doing until they discovered the receptors. Then they realized it helped measure and helped regulate the many, many functions of your body. So... Um, when you take cannabis, it kind of goes in your, your receptors and it gets charged back out to your endocannabinoid system in, in multiple, like, supercharged. So what we're finding is people that uh, are using it for pain, it's almost like it bypasses the pleasure sensors and the, and the stone sensors, goes directly to the CB1 and CB2, which is there for the medicine, and they get the relief from that way. And it was just a theory one of our doctors came up. It's like a vacuum cleaner. They're sucking it so fast to where it was really needed that these people that use it on an ongoing basis have been able to use it as a medicine without being incapacitated or high. Now, that changes when you start eating edibles, though. Right, right. You know, yeah. that's a whole different story, and this is where one of the big things in, in the industry is standardized dosages. So when you go there, you know exactly what you're getting, right? And that's right. been a big problem in some of the illegal dispensaries that think a 100-gram, milligram cookie is great, but there's no way to measure it, and, and that messes anybody up. So you might want 10 milligrams. Well, how do you take that little bite of 10 milligrams out of the thing? So we've seen a lot of changes now over the last couple of years as people anticipated a legal market and getting standardized products out there. Yeah. Um, Now, on every show, uh, we like to end it with our hashtag. Um, So what I end up doing is I go onto Twitter and I type in whatever our subject is and, and whatever the hashtag is. 
Um, so this time I went and I did hashtag weed. Uh, There's a lot of interesting results from that. Um, to be honest, there was uh, not one article that really popped into my mind. But one thing that did make me really think about was the culture of weed. Um, so when I did search for it, it was a lot of people, you know, touting their, their weed leaf uh uh, like hoodies and mm-hmm. you know the the newest bong or the newest what but I guess I kind of just want to ask um, do you think that the culture of weed actually hinders the legalization or the Acceptance. perception of yeah. weed yeah I think well one thing I was going to say is that you know, as um, important and as influential as Cheech and Chong were to the acceptance of marijuana, that kind that kind of like stereotype about marijuana users kind of needs to be relegated to the past because what we're learning now is that marijuana isn't just for you know lazy slacker stoners. It's for everyone. It has all these CEOs. different uses. It has all yeah. these different purposes. You know, you hear all great stories about uh, like working professionals who are lawyers or accountants, and they come home from work and they just have a couple tokes, and that's how they relax at the end of the day. You know. Yeah. Well, we've licensed police officers, judges, lawyers teachers we've we've licensed them all for cannabis in a lot of cases we do a health care plan for them so that they can understand when they can take it so they won't be impaired for work and in some cases where they want to disclose it we work with their human resources so that they can say well this is a safety sensitive job and then our, our physicians will come up with you can smoke you know you can smoke but only six hours before you go to work or we'll prescribe them for work CBD related products right but the culture of that is interesting I mean it started with 420. Yeah. And then 710 came about. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's oil backwards. And that was ah. from okay. That was from Colorado <laughs> when their extraction market exploded. But you haven't heard this one. 210 when you can't wait to 420. Yeah. Okay. Ah. That's Canadian. So that's the Canadian <laughs> term now is 210. February 10th was the first annual party last year. Oh, nice. There'll be a bunch of them across the country this year. That's Canada's uh, contribution to the industry is 210 when you can't right. wait to 420. So we haven't had that unique. Everyone relates 420 to the states and 710 to the states. And we've been the premier. I mean, we're the second federal country to license it. People look at us for all of our medical um, changes that we've done and how our programs worked. And so that's, you know, if I was doing anything, I'd be hashtagging 210. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a big fan of like 1120, you know, like 1120, screw yeah. wait until exactly. the afternoon. Yeah. Wow. I learned so much today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're yeah. afraid of weed still? No, uh, <laughs> it, uh, I'm, I'm definitely a, a almost in, intrigued about learning more whether it's the business or the medical side or 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 the culture and uh and again knowing some personal friends who who use it for medical usage has really uh, allowed me to to see the positive effects of it and and hearing this conversation with our special guests really uh, uh made me uh definitely feel uh more aware of it and almost makes me want to learn more so thank you both very much for being here. No, yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. And if anyone wants to learn more or wants to get their license, they can contact us at mcrci.com and you can hit the apply here, fill it out online, and one of our experienced staff will get back to you and go through a whole program if anyone wants to go legal. Now, there are many benefits to being a medical patient, being writing off $2,500 of all your medical purchases. All the LPs are 
uh, absorbing the excise tax that you will have for recreational. And we have four insurance companies now, Sun Life, Manulife, all paying for uh, a limited amount of illnesses now. So as a medical user, you could even get all your cannabis for free, as right. the veterans do, and some of the indigenous groups are going to be happening now. So, you know, um, recreational is great. Medical is cheaper. <laughs> awesome. And uh, for uh, and Kyle, for our listeners who are looking for some laughs uh, around town, where can they find you online? Um, where can you find me online? Uh, my Twitter is at Kyle's Bottom. Um, Instagram at Kyle Bottom, and that's usually where I'll update about my shows and things like that. Awesome, cool. great. Well, thank you very much for both of you being on the show and uh, for being part of Fear Science. Thanks. Yes, thanks and for having us. You're very welcome, and of course, thanks to all of our listeners for for listening to the Fear of Science and learning and discovering with us. Uh, we look forward to uh, learning and discovering more again with you all again soon. In the meantime, make sure to follow us online. We're at Science Fears on Instagram and Twitter, and we're on Facebook as well. Uh, I'm Daniel Chai. I'm Jeff Porter. We'll see you again.